Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Episode 102 of the Office Developer Podcast. Hey, Rich, how you doing, man? It's yeah, I'm doing great, man. It's awesome to hear you like leading things in the intro because I'm air quotes here. I am on paternity leave. Yeah, that's awesome, and I think it's a it's a it's a great thing that you're doing. I uh, I'm really looking forward to today though, and I'm pleased that you're on here. I'm not sure you're going to be on every show for the next little while. I, I'm, you'll, you'll be on a few, uh, especially the important ones, I, I guess. And this to me is a really important one because we've got a uh, a great friend of the show now. We can call him rather than uh, rather than what he used to be, which was the the show's leader. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, man. How are you? Yeah, really good. Sure. I'm so it's pleased kind of, to have you. It's kind of odd, like just being a guest now after starting this when I first started at Microsoft. That's right. You've, I bet you you've listened to every single episode since, haven't you? You know what? <laughs> I will. I will confess. I have not listened to a show since the last one I recorded, apart from episode 100, and it was only because uh, I had all these LinkedIn messages congratulating me on my marriage. I'm like. How does everybody know about my wedding? And then I realize when this is the show what you've done. So thank you very much for that. Can I get you to maybe record some key like sound bites? Could you say, could you say here, repeat after me, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I could, and you can just keep plugging them into the show for the next hundred episodes. You're not right. following it. Here, let's do this one. I fully endorse that. I, I absolutely fully endorse that. Perfect. I'm, All right. I'm really excited How about this? To be How about this? My voice is my passport. Verify me. <laughs> I, I, the only thing I could have suggested was that you actually put my wedding registry URL on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> because well, we not, do. Not everyone we have, purchased everything I needed. So, you know, if there's any, a, any listeners that want to treat me, feel free. Well, we have a spot in the show notes this week, so we'll make sure we do that. <laughs> I want to know, actually, that'd be quite fun. You could set up a, like a fake wedding registry of somewhere, I don't know, like um, I'm just think, trying to think of a, a, a pet store or something. So you end up with 5,000 doggy bowls and 1,600 uh, leads and, and half a dozen bags of kibble or something, you know. <laughs> it'd be so much fun. I do remember. That's right. I remember one one time, a long, long time ago, a mate of mine, we were still at university, a mate of mine was getting married. And um, we went off, a bunch of us, we were engineers, right? So we had this this idea about how we're going to optimize things. Uh, about 10 of us went off to an army surplus sale and bought 50 ex-army surplus toasters, like for bread, toasters. And we, we bought these toasters and we wrapped them individually and gave them to this guy. And so uh, that was fine. It was funny. He thought it was funny. His wife, new wife, on the other hand, who didn't quite get these engineer guys, was was not quite as was not quite as understanding of the fifty of these toasters they had to dispose of after the wedding. It was pretty fun. <laughs> I'm currently left with uh, ninety four. Oh, just all these costs of things that were bought for the tables at the wedding, which we no longer need. And it's just all like stored in the house. And I'm like pressuring uh, Julie to sell it all on eBay and Craigslist so that we don't have to have all this wedding stuff in the house that we no longer need. That's right. You're already married. You're moving on to the next stage. It's all good. Yeah, right. <laughs> Very cool. So we should probably chat about what's, what's else been going on in the, in the office developer world for the last week or so. Um, and we will come back and have a chat to you about what you're up to, to next. It, it, Perhaps, uh, perhaps after that. So, Rich, um, you've just done a, a new Office Dev show, which looks pretty cool. We'll be using app-only permissions with a graph. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, you know, it, it, we've 
do shows on the Microsoft Graph all the time, but typically we're talking about delegated permissions. And a delegated permission is I'm going to make calls into the graph on behalf of whoever is signed in. And so it's great for like an individual user, but if you wanted to do any sort of application that had was more of like a tenant-wide type of application or system access type of application. We do support app-only permissions. Uh, this is something that the SharePoint world's had for a while. And to be quite honest, the Azure Active Directory has had it, but it's just not quite as common. And so um, I, I just did a show that shows you how to do this from scratch. Uh, it does involve certificates, which scares off a lot of people. But to be quite honest, we might come back and talk about this a little bit later because I think it's relevant to some of the things that Jeremy's leading up around Azure Functions. He even did a, a post that was kind of similar to this. So um, yeah, anyway, awesome. cool stuff. If you're interested in that sort of thing, we'll yeah. maybe talk, talk about it You're just turning these shows out, man. This is great. There's there's so much great content on that uh, on the Office Dev Show. I, I just, uh, I'm just i always amazed about how much fantastic content you get through and all the, all the cool people you get to talk to as well. So that's that's very cool. Um, speaking of cool things that have been going on, the, um, uh, you and I have been playing a lot with the um, Excel APIs in the Microsoft Graph recently, and um, they are now generally available, which is which is pretty neat. Yeah, this is a cool one. You know, I wasn't expecting the. I, you know, I, I'm probably not as tuned in as people think I am, and I, I, I had no clue that this was GAing this week. Um, you know, I thought that this would probably become generally available at Ignite. I, I mean, we've traditionally like held these things until something like Ignite and then done like a big announcement there. But um, kudos to that team. I, I think. These are super cool. Um, I mean, it's incredibly powerful, the things that you can do without ever do it completely from the background. And, and so um, I think this is a, such a fantastic addition to the graph. It's such it a great API. There was been a Sorry. GA at the uh, Build conference, so I'm glad they've got around to doing that, actually. Yeah, look, I think it's such a great, a great API as well. It, the idea that you can use uh, um, uh, Excel at the back end to do you know, calculations and graphing and those sorts of things, and then surface those completely programmatically uh, through any application you like is really so powerful because it means that a bunch of that um, a bunch of that business logic can go into uh, can can be can be created by the people who actually understand the domain, the domain experts, and then the uh, the the developers can just take that expertise and and harness it to to uh, surface for the end users. It's, it's very powerful. I mean, we talked about this for ages with things like Excel Services, right? But this is kind of the next the next step of that with uh, with this REST API. Very very cool. Yeah. Um, and now, Jeremy, you said I I, I this is I, I don't always stay in tuned with what's beta and what's GA. So you mentioned that this was on the docket for build. I thought it was beta in or preview in build. Is it, was uh, it supposed to um, GA at that time? Yeah, we previewed it at Ignite last year, and the intent was it was going to GA at build. Um, and there was a beta endpoint of it for a while before it got flipped to the real endpoint on the graph. So um, I think there was, yeah, they just wanted to make sure it was really solid before GAing it. So I know that's why it got it got delayed from build. So, but it was the most popular thing. Like every time we went to a conference is what people were asking about on the graph was this, because it was kind of a really functional service available on the graph as opposed to kind of more of a CRUD operation on objects, which is a lot of the other endpoints on the graph. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's really exciting. I was going to say, yeah. go on, mate. <laughs> I was going to say that both both Coatsy and I have been doing a lot of things where um, we just use it as our data source for like small little like personal apps. Um, 
you know, rather than like trying to do something that's more uh, has a bigger overhead, just say, hey, let's just throw out a workbook and and throw data into it. So probably be using uh, Azure databases for that kind of thing, Rich. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> ah, yeah, nice, nice segue. We'll have to we'll have to come back to that one. <laughs> Very cool indeed. And there's a couple of good posts uh, from the Excel team and from you, um, you Liu. Uh, about uh, using the REST API, and of course, you know, Rich, you did that great um, Office developer, uh, Office Office show, Office Dev show on uh, on the REST API with Cordova, uh, and uh, created that cool little app with the um, with the expenses uh, expenses reporting system. That was that was very neat, which it included things like being able to capture your receipt and store that up in the same OneDrive folder as the uh, as the uh, workbook itself. Yes, and, and I'm sure Jeremy's going to mention that that's a place where blob storage would be better. So. <laughs> so it, the cool thing is, because I, I showed off something similar at, at a recent conference um, that, that that we did, and the cool thing is that you just go up to the OneDrive, and there are, it's so easy to see all of the the things that you've captured because they're just in a OneDrive folder. And in fact, they're in the apps OneDrive folder, which is another thing we might talk about another time. But there's these special folders in uh, in OneDrive that that you can that you can automatically have created that belong to the app that's creating them. Um, and it's uh, it's not something I'd, I'd come across until I until I followed your uh, to followed your code. Which is very very cool. Yep. Uh, um, okay. So, uh, well, let, let's let's chat a bit about uh, some other things that are going on in the in the, uh, in, in the SharePoint world. Uh, there's some stuff about sandbox solutions going on at the moment. Tell us a bit about that, Rich, because uh, there's there's been a bit of a, a furor or a bit of a, a bit of a, a frenzy going on. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I guess it it helps to take a step back and look at the history of customizing SharePoint. You know, back in the 2003 days and earlier, it was really all hacking uh, and you could kind of hack around and modify SharePoint in different ways. And then in 2007 was a big milestone where we introduced what we call the feature framework where you actually, well, you hopefully created these um, WSPs. It's like a cab file that you'd go and deploy into a SharePoint farm. And, and it was all self-contained within that, that cab file. And then you activated different features and then in 2010, as we started becoming more cloud aware and SharePoint, like trying to make it more cloud friendly, um, all those feature framework solutions were what we called full trust. And, and what that meant was, is if, as long as you put that code in the farm, it could operate as the basically the farm account. Uh, it had access to anything and that scared us in the cloud. So we introduced this thing called Sandbox Solutions. And the idea behind it is it actually ran on a separate process. Um, and the, the benefit there was, is we can limit it in all kinds of ways. It could, we can limit it, we could uh, resource limit it to where um, if it uses up too much memory or too much CPU, there was all these like groups that you could give it points for. Well, if it exceeded its points for either the day or for any individual measure, we could actually just cut it off. Um, and it wouldn't, Regardless of how bad you wrote code, uh, it wouldn't bring down the I, uh, the w3wp.exe service. And so the big announcement this week um, was that code-based sandbox solutions are being removed from SharePoint Online. This, To me, this shouldn't come as that big of a surprise because when we came out with, I guess, version, we're on like version three and four of SharePoint customization at this point, but when we came out with add-ins or apps, we said, hey, this is the way of the future. Don't do code-based sandbox solutions. Now, ironically, we're on yet another version of development. I don't know if 
you guys have any comments about that. But the idea here and the big news this week was that we've officially said that we're removing code-based sandbox solutions from SharePoint Online. Right. Yeah, yeah. Look, and I, I think this, this makes a bunch of sense, as you say. It's the evolution of the, of the platform. I'm actually really looking forward to uh, having a chance to chat with uh, some people about the new way of doing things when uh, when that finally ships. So uh, that could that could be a lot of fun as well. You know, I'll just kind of talking about it. And I'm sure Jeremy has a lot of opinions around this, and we'll see if we can't get him in trouble by sharing some <laughs> of that. But um, you know, I did a lot with Sandbox Solutions because I, I come from a SharePoint development background, and there were certainly like challenges with it. Um, for instance, you didn't have any markup. So if you wanted to build a, 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 a web part, if we look at like the all four development ways of building a web part, you have a fe feature framework, you have sandbox solutions, you have add-ins, and now you have the SharePoint framework. Of all four of those, like sandbox solutions, in my opinion, were the worst. Uh, well, I don't know, add-ins are pretty bad too, but um, like with, with sandbox solutions, you had no markup. So you basically had to create all of your controls from code behind. So you were like, you know, in C Sharp, you'd be like new text box, add text box to controls collection. I mean, it was not very conducive to building a, like a, a user interface. Right. No, so, I agree. Yeah. And, and look, it, I agree. Markup is by far the best way of doing that, which I think is why um, you know uh, XAML appeals to me so much in in the in the, um, in the .NET world as well. It just it seems to make so much sense to have a separation between your markup and your and your and your logic behind the scenes, and the the ability to bind them is really clever. Yeah. So um, you know, from that standpoint, I think it's good. Now, the the downside of this is we do have a ton of still of of SharePoint Online dedicated customers where this was heavily pushed from early on. And so there there is a, a number of, of partners out there and a number of customers that have significant investment in sandbox solutions. And hopefully we've worked with them and you know things like patterns and practices have hopefully helped them kind of wean off doing that. But um, you know it is something that is going to create a few waves just because we did have so many people doing it. Interestingly, the patterns and practices group actually created, uh, I don't know if it's, I haven't looked at it in great detail, a script or something that'll actually generate a list of the sandbox solutions you have in your farm. Um, and actually Mark Anderson did a blog post this week. We'll have a link to that where he, uh, he talked a little bit about it, but um, you know, it's something that, you know, if you're in SharePoint online, you need to be aware of this because they are going to be going away. Um, we could still do declarative sandbox solutions, but uh, the code, there was actually a separate, uh, I think it was like the UC user code service or something like that. We're turning that off in uh, our data centers. And so uh, it won't run your code. Right. So, so I blame CJ for this who uh, was a previous <laughs> manager in marketing, but when he was on the engineering side in his first stint at Microsoft, this was one of his things. So that, you know, that's his fault. But um, in our, I, CJ and I kind of chimed into a few of the Facebook threads because, you know, although we've moved into different roles now, like it is close to our hearts. We worked in the team for two years. We worked really closely with the SharePoint engineering team as we did with the graph team and the office add-ins team. And, um, you know, we, we had a similar situation um, with the marketplace and some of the things we took away from SharePoint add-ins 
uh, where we went and actually reached out to all the customers that kind of were using this particular feature and let them know within plenty of time before we switched it off. Um, the, with regards to sandbox solutions, it's been deprecated for a long time, yes, and there has been radio silence because genuinely, I don't think engineering really had any any plans to, to do anything with it. Uh, in episode 18 that I did with Steve Walker, actually Steve's in our team as well in Azure now, um, and we remember in episode 18, like we made a big point of saying like, you know, this is not something you should be doing. Um, there was guidance on MSDN that kind of cleared that up as well. And there was a bunch of discussion back then off that podcast went live around that. I think, you know, to your point, Rich, I remember being at SPC 09 where, you know, Sandbox Solutions was the cool stuff. And this is the future because full trust code isn't going to work in Office 365. And that's where we want people to be. And so, sure, there was this big push to, you know, start with Sandbox and don't start with FTC, even if you are on-prem and the construct is the same, the manifest files are the same, the tooling's the same, you'll be good. And yes, there are limitations because it isn't full trust code and there's certain things you can't do in Sandbox because of APIs are available to be called. And so there was always this nag that there was an issue and a lot of on-prem customers never used it because they weren't ever going to the cloud. Now, three years later, that obviously isn't the case. And I know of a few customers that took FTC code and just pumped it into Sandbox because it was easier than starting again with the add-in model. Um, I get where these guys are coming from engineering, but I also understand customers freaking out that now they can't actually go into the um, the UI and upload a Sandbox solution because the button's disabled, but existing Sandbox solutions with code currently still run, but that there will be at some point, they won't run at all. Um, it's a tricky space to be in right now, and I'm not going to speak on behalf of the new person in my role in engineering, but um, it, it's tough. Like you know, There's stuff like this happening in engineering on the Azure side where uh, we're deprecating services and having to give notices and, and timeframes, and it's kind of this thing of you know, if we want to innovate and move forward, then we can't be stuck in maintenance cycles on things that we know the usage has dropped off on and that people have jumped onto things like the add-in model and Hopefully, and I, I really hope for the SharePoint team that this does happen, that they jump onto the new SharePoint framework once that's available for everyone to, uh, to play with. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm personally really interested to see what happens in that space uh, once that does does become live. So I, I sympathize with both sides of the camp, and I'm semi-glad that I'm not in the marketing team right now with SharePoint. <laughs> um, and I did mention on Facebook that I... Uh, was going to start removing people on Facebook that only talk about SharePoint all the time because it's amazing how quickly you realize that you just don't get time to focus on that stuff anymore. And I am laser focused on Azure right now. And so, you know, that I need less and less distraction in my personal world when I'm sitting on the toilet flicking through Facebook. I don't want to see the SharePoint anymore. <laughs> well, that leads us quite nicely, man, into into oh. a discussion about what you're up to. So tell us a bit about uh, where you where you've gone since you since you left the uh, left left the office team and 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 what you what you've been doing. Yeah, it's been fascinating. It was definitely a risky thing to do. Um, Semi risky in terms of just you know, taking another transition in Microsoft and and jumping into another product group. Um, I, I was really scared that it was going to be a totally different role for me. But it, it's really funny. Like it's the same types of scenarios over and over again, but just with another product to talk about. So um, I'm still doing what I was originally doing and said I was going to be doing when I left in April from Office team, which is I own Azure App Service and Azure Functions, which is Azure Functions is currently in preview. App Services has been shared for a long time now and is one of the most successful services in Azure, which is uh, a good position to be in from a product marketing person. 
And um, it's been great because, uh, th- you know, they're driving so hard in Azure, uh, both on an engineering and a marketing side. And um, I've been doing some really fun projects. We just started not talking about products so much and talking about solutions. If you go to azure.com and click on solutions in the top, we have things like the digital marketing solution, which is all about kind of running web content management um, products on on top of um, app service and obviously now with a non-compete you know there's no real SharePoint story there with internet facing sites there's a lot of demand out there to run web content management systems like Orchard and Ubuntu and Sitecore and EpiServer on Azure um, and add kind of app modernization projects where we're taking uh, on-premises customers that are running all sorts of different web servers and m- migrating them off into the app service PaaS the platform as a service there so it's been really fun to work with a different field and there's the same kind of irks and pains that were available, you know, existing in office still exist in Azure. And, but it's just like a whole new group of people with a, a different level of, um, I guess, energy would be one thing. Um, but the same amount of politics and politicking and, and so forth that you expect in a, any big company that's trying to, you know, march to a bead of consumption and um, revenue and, and so forth. So, man, for people who've been spending their lives stuck in uh, in office and office online, tell us a little bit about what um, the Azure App Services are, and perhaps, and, and I'm really excited about the fun- Azure Functions as well. But let's start with what App Services are. Yeah. So, what, what's interesting is, and I think this was just the notion of how stretched I was in my office role, is there is so much relevance to Azure App Service with what people are doing in SharePoint Online. Uh, specifically with the SharePoint add-in model and the Office add-in model, but even with the new SharePoint framework, which will be coming, there'll be absolute relevance there with Azure App Service as well. Um, Azure App Service is essentially a, uh, an initiative that came about where the people wanted somewhere to run a website. Uh, and so essentially right now it's IIS uh, running uh, in, a, in a PaaS model, which means that rather than having to worry about maintaining all of the you know, the, the server, Windows server infrastructure and patching it and keeping IIS up to date and making sure the latest versions of .NET Framework or also things like PHP and Java and other language uh, frameworks are supported on Azure App Service. Um, all that's handled for you. So all you essentially do is either push your Visual Studio project directly from Visual Studio into um, a web app inside of Azure, or you can uh, commit it or... Um, check it into a source control provider and it'll automatically go and update that content inside of an Azure App Service web app. Um, but it's broader than that. There's a lot of other really cool little things that are in there um, that make it super easy to kind of, as a team, deploy things. Deployment slots allows you to kind of have staging versions which you can switch on the fly and switch back on. Um, and also, I think some of the most compelling aspects of it is that it's very easy to deploy APIs that can be uh, managed and um, you can do a lot of telemetry there on the usage of your APIs. And then from a mobile scenario, if you've got like companion mobile apps for your web app that you're deploying, or maybe just standalone mobile apps, I can do things like notifications to my mobile apps through really easy um, SDKs that are available that talk to our service and then the service talks to your customers or you know employees who've got those mobile applications out there. and offline data sync and so forth. So it's and we're a, talking about notifications, it's huge scale, right? So you need right. to be able to notify millions uh, of people simultaneously. You can do that. We've used it for a bunch of the, the Olympics apps, for example, right? Yeah, and, and it's really neat because the, the, the customer stories that we're getting right now, especially for me, he's a kind of a gearhead. 
uh, you know, we NASCAR, which obviously only re- resonates with uh, a North American crowd and <laughs> anyone outside of North America thinks it's just crazy and weird. But um, uh, IndyCar as well, which obviously I'm big into is the same kind of thing as NASCAR, but they do like live tining with IoT uh, right now on all, all the cars, um, goes into the Azure service, but then uh, these different teams have mobile apps that then subscribe to that and push real-time updates onto your mobile devices so you can see like the real real timing going on and so things like that at scale are just it's just mind-blowing and when you look at the implementation and how quickly they've built those things and like the lines of code and configuration needed to do that it's just incredible so like it the big kind of message is speed to market like you don't have to rant, roll that all your own now we just give you a bunch of services that make sense for you as a mobile developer or a web developer that takes away all that worry about scaling out and um, having high availability and having all these like little toolkit things that you can almost like toggle on and off depending on what you want to use. And um, yeah, it's been fun. It's like, uh, I feel like I, and this part of being on this show was like, there's a lot that SharePoint and Office developers could leverage that maybe they're not aware of right now. Um, when I was in role, like I was doing everything locally on my PC, I never had to really push anything into the cloud. So I never really played with um, app service, but now you know, as I go more and more into this, I'm like, wow, that would be so cool to do that with a Microsoft graph and have it hosted in app service running in the cloud and so forth. So I have um, to say, yeah. mate, that, that um, you know, I have a very general role in, in, in my gig and uh, I talk a lot about this stuff to our customers here in Australia and our partners. And it's it's really compelling how how many people are doing very very cool stuff with this you know not just not just the mobile services stuff not just the website stuff but also the things around logic apps and flow and the functions so tell us a little bit about some of those things yeah so um it, it's interesting because uh you know microsoft wouldn't be microsoft without kind of shipping its org chart um so there's the web and the mobile side which is app service and then and, and then there's api apps which is kind of hosting these apis but as you mentioned logic apps is another component of app service which um, is kind of growing up in its own way in the sense that, you know, Microsoft Flow is out now, which has got a great story with SharePoint for kind of doing that simple workflow drag and drop on a web browser or in a, in a client app. To have hook up the SharePoint lists, right? The, the, the new lists yeah, talk yeah. beautifully. Yeah. So, so inside of a SharePoint UI, you'll be able to kind of say, I want a new Microsoft Flow. And then, you know, as a document jumps in the SharePoint library, trigger a flow, and then a flow will have various activities. But the nice thing about it is, is from uh, Logic Apps, which is essentially like the grow story from Microsoft Flow, um, which can also trigger from SharePoint lists and libraries. I can go, I want to Azure function as part of, as an activity within my, my Flow or my Logic App. And so what that means is, is that if there's an activity that is you know, configurable with a few radio boxes or toggles, and it doesn't really meet your need, you can get a developer in to write a more complex activity, which essentially is code, um, which is an Azure function, uh, which is essentially a function is, um, you'll hear the buzzword a lot of serverless, where again, you don't have to know anything about where this thing's being executed. You don't have to worry about scale. Uh, it's a discrete piece of like code that runs. Uh, it can be passed an input, it can have an output. Um, usually is very short time frame, uh, and they can run in concurrent, uh, concurrently on, on your app service plan and uh, you're good to go. So rather than kind of deploying a whole web app with a bunch of APIs, if you want to quickly build like a, a neat bit of code that you know you've got a, your input and you want an output, and you can like have up to a million of these for, for free a month, and then obviously there's billing on a per uh, you know instance basis, or you can buy a bulk amount. Um, it makes it really nice to kind of have this kind of 
really quick way of going into either a browser and writing this script um, or checking this stuff or committing it into source control and having these functions appear in your in your functions app. And um, you know, again, that story is is that you can write those and include them within those logic apps. So um, it's it's very core, cool. and uh, we're going to be GAing Azure Functions shortly. And uh, there's some awesome user stories already where we've had pilot customers coming in, and I really can't wait when we GA and have those customer references to really blow people away with some extremely large customers in terms of what they're doing now and transforming their business by using functions rather than the traditional you know, like host a bunch of APIs in a in an IIS web server or in an app service web app and kind of really having these things as discrete functions that can be triggered by an event like I've dropped something in the SharePoint library or can be called or be run on a timed basis like I wake up and do something every 12, 24 hours. I have, yeah, look, I have a question for you, Jeremy. You know, if it, coming from a, a very strong SharePoint background as you've transitioned into looking more of like the PaaS offering. Um, I'm not, I, hopefully I'm not getting in trouble by talking about this with my SharePoint brethren, but you know, if you look at like d delivering SharePoint, you know, we certainly have uh, our, our SharePoint online software as a service approach. In terms of like, like other cloud offerings, it's really been isolated to running SharePoint in like a like a VM, like uh, infrastructure as a service. Whereas like you see some of these other like really rich platforms around digital marketing and content management, like Sitecore, they run more, maybe more in like a PaaS type space. Do you ever see SharePoint maybe running in the PaaS space? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it has to be, I would imagine the future in terms of where a lot of these big, platforms go i guess that the question being is is that with the fact that they have sharepoint server and sharepoint online in parallel that would really be forking the sharepoint online um, to kind of make that happen um, i know for instance there was talk that they were going to use sql database for instance for the data layer of sharepoint online i'm not quite sure whether that actually happened or not because i know there were certain features of sql database that weren't there that sql server had and that they have more granular control if they were running SharePoint Online in VMs as opposed to um, in kind of as a platform, as a service with SQL Database. Um, in actual fact, you mentioned Sitecore. They're going through that journey right now, and I own that relationship with Sitecore where um, they've got products that run in VMs right now, uh, and they're going through that process, and we announced this at WPC, that they'll actually uh, re-architect in their product to run only uh, in app service. And the benefit to them is, is that they don't have, don't have to manage the infrastructure. They essentially tell their customer, oh, sure, you want our product? Go get an Azure subscription. We'll give you what we call the ARM template, the Azure Resource Management template, and they'll deploy their product into the Azure subscription for the customer. And that, what that means is the customer pays for the usage of Azure. So, um, you know, Sitecore or a partner doesn't have to worry about in their subscription model you know, the on the on cost of running Azure for that customer and all the rest of their customers, they're kind of basically and the customer pay for uh, the running of the service and then licensing uh, the, the, the product to that customer. And I think that's a scenario that um, uh, partners like when I was at my previous company in New York, we had the same thing. Like we're like, well, we've got to come up with a licensing cost for this service. Um, but what, how do we make it fair for someone that's really hammering our product compared to a small SMB? It's a very fine line to do uh, because you've got to make sure you're covering your running costs of the service. 
Whereas in this kind of approach where you kind of hand the service to be run on, um, it allows you to kind of really worry about the licensing costs from a, a seat basis and not the worrying about the covering costs of, it, of running the code. And, you know, that model seems to be becoming very popular with partners. Do you like where, um, since like a lot of our SharePoint developer friends, you know, they were living in the on-premises world for so long and, and maybe their first glimpse into Azure was something like, like doing IaaS, maybe running a SharePoint farm on VMs. Like, what do you think in the app service space? What is like the, the best place to get someone's feet wet? Yeah, it's a good question. So there's a bunch of like hands-on labs and training content that's available on Azure.com around um, app service. It it certainly is the future uh, in terms of like this notion of IaaS, PaaS, SaaS. So kind of, you know, infrastructure service, platform as a service, and then software as a service. And I suspect, you know, most SharePoint developers will be in that PaaS space um, unless they're fortunate enough to be like, peace out. I'm going to go work for a startup and be building some cool new Pokemon Go SaaS application. <laughs> They're more likely to be building enterprise applications running on a on a PaaS and having a kind of corporate firewall uh, perspective inward rather than mass consumer consumer reach in that SaaS way. Um, and so you know the, the the mapping's pretty straight. You know you go from building .NET apps running on IaaS with a a SQL server with a database running on it to an app service running .NET, either, you know, ASP.NET or uh, 4.5 or even Core. Uh, and then also just, you know, the database runs on SQL database in Azure and, and it doesn't need to be running in a VM or anything inside of SQL Server anymore. So the mapping's pretty straightforward. Uh, the learning curve there uh, isn't that difficult. So, um, yeah, I kind of, uh, I, I see that pathway if, if you're not looking in that space that, in, in the next few years, wherever you are, that's going to be something that is going to be expected to be understood as uh, a deployment um, engine. And I think most SharePoint developers have that background that it should be an easy transition to make, but it'd be good to kind of get stuck in and understand how that works. And obviously Visual Studio makes it super, simple, simple to kind of get started with it. And not just not just SharePoint devs either. People are doing um, uh, Office add-ins. Uh, it, it's ideal for as well, right? The back end for your office yeah. adding piece, that, that's perfect. Yeah, and what's interesting there is, is that, you know, because it's, you build your office add-in inside of uh, Visual Studio, um, when you build that, you get two projects in the solution. One is the manifest for office and one is the basically the, the web project. And in the properties pane there, it's very easily to just right-click and click publish and it will publish that component to Azure for you once you put in your your Microsoft account credentials there. It will just automatically whack that in Azure. And then when you kind of F5, you can choose to run your Office add-in from either your local host or run it from where you published it in Azure. And what the nice part about that is, is that you can hand your manifest off to uh, someone else and they don't need to have it running locally. They can just point to the Azure running version of that web application. So, um, And of course... I know. We were doing say, in the, with engineering teams as well, so it's really easy. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, one of the one of the one of the big benefits as well is that um, uh, by default, um, the Azure App Services uh, has SSL uh, capabilities, and so you right. don't need your own yeah. cert. It, it all happens automatically because the star dot um, Azure Websites dot com uh, uh, domain has got a, a a wildcard cert, and so whatever you put up there on, under there is it can be SSL secure without you having to go through the pain of 
of obtaining and, and, and uh, provisioning an SSL cert and, and, and keeping it up to date. Very, very cool stuff. Yeah, so I really like that aspect of it. I suppose, you know, for people who've done office add-ins, I would be interested to see how many people have, uh, are doing that or even uh, know about it. There are articles which I worked on when I was there on MSDN that um, kind of reviewing that kind of show you how to do that that step with the publishing. And, um, yeah, it definitely makes it a lot easier and streamlined for, for developers in general with Azure. I think the other aspect from a learning curve, which obviously now, you know, SharePoint with the new framework is going to push you down this belief that, uh, client-side developments where it where it's at and everything should be JavaScript and uh, you know go crazy is that it's interesting from our camp now with kind of web apps uh, and funny enough Steve Walker kind of owns this space is you know we see a lot of PHP developers and a lot of Java developers in in the enterprise and they want to host these things in Azure and and so you know we work very closely with them on uh, you know like how can we help their developer um, streamlining and work experience of you know how they work within eclipse and publish from eclipse to get their java web apps into azure so that they can test them and so same thing with um with php and, and and node as well as the other big one that steve's going after there from an open source perspective so it's interesting like we do definitely see that javascript world um but um we, we see a lot of enterprise developers really kind of not just .NET guys. We're, we're not in that space because, you know, that's the SharePoint industry started in .NET, so it's a Microsoft shop, and now they're kind of being kind of pushed down this path of, you know, this is client-side development, and you're going to have to know what Node and React and, and things are, whereas we're seeing it from every web developer is an opportunity market for us uh, with running their web apps on app service. And, you know, we see Java as, as a very fast-growing area. Um, but actually, the, interestingly, and this came from that GitHub report, um, is that Node is huge and so is PHP. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely broadening my horizons on where the web development landscape is, uh, is going. Call me an old bloke, but I still love having my, uh, still love having my types all, uh, all strongly typed. Oh, and... I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, you know, app service supports ASP.NET Core and uh, that stuff is get growing very, very quickly and testament to you know, how they've run that open source project from the beginning, being extremely open and sharing with everybody. It's, it's grown that community like absolute wildfire. Absolutely. Um, so, well, well, I'm here at the Norwegian Developers oh, Conference yeah. in Sydney today, and, and uh, Damien oh, Edwards, really? of course, is down here, and uh, Scott Hanselman all, all talking about all of that uh, all that goodness, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been really exciting to see how full those rooms are, how excited people yeah. are to see that, that stuff. Yeah, I mean, testament to them running that as a, you know, like the true open source um, and... Uh, you know, the community's kind of, they've hit some walls in certain places and they've really been open and transparent and, and kind of had everyone involved in the decisions as they've moved forward. And it I think one of the exciting like, things is how many how many pull requests they've taken from the community as part of ASP.KL. Yeah, Kill. crazy, yeah. It's, it's magic. It, it's, a, it's a whole new world, a whole new way of doing things. It's developing in the open versus developing open source. And I think they've really embraced that developing open source uh, yeah, philosophy. Yeah, I agree. And, and that team works really closely with the app service team um, and credit to the guys over in app service on making sure that when that did ship, the app service supported it. And so right now you can actually go and, you know, do the same thing, publish your core apps uh, directly into app service and run them there as well. So, uh, yeah, it was good to see that because I think originally with the latest .NET framework came out a year ago, like app service took a little while to support it, whereas this time around they committed to 
working closely with the core team to make sure that was supported once it was shipped. Very cool. Now, one of the things you were working on just as, just as you made the transition was uh, you got all excited about service, uh, about functions and webhooks. Did you ever resolve that? I did, yeah. So I had a blog post that went out uh, on my blog, jeremythake.com, and it's actually the last blog post I did, which is in April of this year, uh, like day three of me being in role before I got thrown way too much uh, work to do. And um, it was really neat because I think part of the thing with webhooks is is that you know, back in the day with SharePoint, you had event receivers in full trust code. And when the way that you did it was you had your, you know, file new Visual Studio project, you created uh, an event receiver, it created a XML manifest to declare it uh, with the list type that it was hooked to or the name of the list that it was hooked to. And then there was a C sharp class file or a VB.net class file within that project that was the code that got executed based on the event, whether it was kind of like adding, deleting, updating type stuff. Um, with Sandbox Solutions, they still had that with managed code. So if you are using Sandbox code to do event receivers right now, uh, which obviously was strongly recommended against by the PMP group, um, that will you know, have an issue now. You won't be able to deploy those in SharePoint Online. And so with the adding model, what they did was uh, they provided a way that you had a remote, remote event receiver. So you drop a document into SharePoint, rather than executing code that was in that Sandbox Solution package, you essentially had to give it an endpoint that SharePoint would call uh, and pass the information about what the event was. And with webhooks, they took it one step further, which was um, rather than kind of declaring a, an, an endpoint remote event receiver uh, in code, with a Microsoft Graph now and directly on the direct endpoints for each of the products within Office 365, you basically register for a webhook, which is a kind of a very standard approach to handling events in kind of the SaaS world platform. And you still provide an endpoint like you did remote event receivers, but then both with remote event receivers and webhooks, you still need to deploy something and host it somewhere for the webhook to call or remote, remote event receiver to call. And so my idea was, well, you know, functions, essentially I just go into Azure, I create, you know, I want a new function and I get this blank canvas, which is basically uh, a code editor where I can write my code in. Um, and it, it's an endpoint in itself. So I worked out a way with uh, uh, the graph registering a new webhook uh, just by calling an API and passing the function URL endpoint into it. And then essentially in, in the demo that I do, um, it's uh, mail that goes arrives in my inbox, which triggers a webhook. Uh, the webhook calls my Azure function endpoint, which then kicks off my function code execution. And in that code, um, I get the information from the, the webhook uh, kind of input, which essentially is, here's the ID of my email, and this is the URL to call back if you want more information about the mail. So I call the graph with, a, with an auth token, and it returns me like the whole information about that mail message. And in my demo, what I do is I actually use the Bing Translator API to then translate the, the email to French. And then I actually use the Microsoft Graph then to update that mail message using uh, a mail update on the uh, Microsoft Graph and update it with a French version. So what that means is, is that essentially uh, every time a mail comes in my inbox, it's immediately converting it to French. Um, which is, you know, a scenario that could be very viable if you're uh, in France and you wanted to have everything translated before you looked at it. And so to the end user, they don't see that. It just happens. 
um, because it, the event is triggered as soon as that mail enters the inbox. And so by the time I'm in inbox, yeah, Outlook or I'm checking my phone or I'm looking on my uh, Microsoft band, like the email has already been translated and updated by my function. And, and again, that happens on a, um, you know, a discrete basis. So as every email comes in, it, the webhook just calls a new function and they all run concurrently. You don't have to worry about scaling and all that jazz. It just works for you, um, which is, is really, really cool. So um, for me, the scenario is perfect because you don't have to kind of have a, uh, you don't necessarily need to have a Visual Studio project and deploying this thing to Azure Web Apps and kind of managing how that thing's deployed. You can just go into Functions Editor in the web browser and write it and get that stuff going. Um, but if you do want to have uh, kind of that mature model around it in terms of um, uh, kind of continuous integration of updating those functions, you can have it as a, a Visual Studio project and deploy, uh, sorry, commit to GitHub, and then GitHub will automatically update the function code as you check it in, um, which is a neat kind of CI integration that you have with functions. Um, Very cool indeed, man. Look, I'm sure we could spend hours talking about this stuff. There's so many cool things in, in the Azure space, and even just in your particular part of the Azure space in, in app services and functions. But uh, and perhaps we might save that for uh, another time. Uh, but look, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It, it's uh, it's great to be able to continue your legacy, for, for want of a better term. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, I'd say, like, definitely check out that blog post because it actually – it took me a while to write, and it's a step-by-step -step of how to build it from scratch. I've just added it to um, the show notes, man. Yeah. People can go and check it out. That's great. And then and then the other thing to keep an eye on is um, functions.azure.com, uh, which is our kind of landing page for it. Um, we have some common scenarios we see customers doing already around functions, whether it's kind of like, uh, you know uh, – SAS event processing where it's like an Excel file got started into OneDrive and a function triggers that then uses the Microsoft Graph Excel API to then go and look at that Excel file and do some processing to dump the data into SQL database and then Power BI then reports on that data. So kind of like a cleansing approach. Nice. And there's other things like, um, you know, I'm building a mobile application and I want to call an API to do some photo processing with uh, Cortana analytics APIs to see if there's any people in the photo and that code is written as an Azure function then returns that information back up to the mobile device. So And the cool thing about that is you can just reuse there. it, right? That code is now just generic that you can use from pretty much any uh, any app but as long as it's got auth to it obviously but that's that's the, the yeah. beauty of modularizing it like this. And we're going to have a bunch of like gallery examples that you're going to kind of grab and use as baselines uh, and take and deploy into your own environment. So yeah, functions.azure.com is definitely the right place to place to start there. And my blog article, you can happily go away and play with that with your Office 365 subscription. And if you've got any cool ideas, please come and uh, reach out to me at jthake on Twitter because I'd love to hear what you guys are doing with Azure because I think it's always good to tell that story of Office and Azure better together as well. And uh, means I get an excuse to work with you, Rich, again. Absolutely. And particularly if you've got questions about the uh, the, the sandbox uh, the sandbox solutions uh, uh, scenario, there's just ping Jeremy on Facebook. He'd love to oh, hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely add me as a friend on Facebook and decide <laughs> to run. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll make sure in my spare time I respond to all those things. Uh, in all honesty, I'll probably just refer you to Bill Bear, but that's all good. <laughs> Fantastic. Mate, thanks so much for jumping on the show. Rich, you got anything to finish up with? No, nothing other than my crying daughter in the background. I don't know if y'all hear her, but uh, yeah, that's my well, life for the next 12 weeks. So. <laughs> good on you, man. Well, well, let's get back to that. Thank, 
Thanks again, both you guys, and uh, I look forward to uh, catching you all on the next uh, Office Developer Podcast. Uh, for now, we'll catch you next week. Keep this guys rocking. I love the fact that we've uh, the torch is still burning on the Office Podcast. So thank you. Awesome, thanks. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, keep on coding.